0: making a disc golf podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Intentional Disc Golfer Podcast. We're excited to have you join us on our disc golf journey. This podcast explores the physical, mental, and technical aspects of disc golf performance. We will also be discussing tools and techniques to improve your disc golf game as we work on improving ours. Now, here are your hosts. Brandon and Jenny Sapinski.
1: And thank you once again for listening to the Intentional Disc Golfer podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Brandon,
0: and my name is Jenny. And Brandon, what did you recently celebrate?
1: <sighs> I am the ripe old age of getting my second ace.
0: No, you celebrated your fortieth birthday. My fortieth. Congratulations, birthday. and Yay.
1: and a second ace. I got a birthday ace. Yes. It wasn't did. quite birthday, but it was close enough.
0: Yes. Congratulations.
1: All right. Well, if you enjoy this fine broadcast, appreciate us, love us, can't stop listening to us, go ahead and support us on Facebook and Instagram at Saprinsky Disc Golf. That is C Z U P R Y N S K I Disc Golf. And on our Twitter page at the IDG podcast. That is at the IDG podcast. And I want to remind you that this fine broadcast, I keep saying that it's a fine broadcast.
0: It's a decent broadcast. Decent, yeah,
1: that's <laughs> right. We'd like to remind you that this program is supported by listeners like you, and we are in a new sponsorship season, Jenny. So if you'd like to become a sponsor on the show, have us out for a live event, or if you would like some Stickers. Stickers. That's right. What color are they this time? They are still neon green. Neon right green stickers. Just give us an email at theintentionaldiscgolfer at gmail.com. That is theintentionaldiscgolfer at gmail.com.
0: You can reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook, and I would be happy to send you a sticker or two. You can also order from us at Tree Octopus Treasures at Etsy, and you'll get a free sticker with your order.
1: Yeah, we have a bunch of dyed discs up there and uh, some special editions that you can't find anywhere else and all custom dyed. So check us out, Tree Octopus Octopus Treasures on Etsy. All right, Jenny, you have some important events coming up. We are in the off season, but important stuff is still happening.
0: So we uh, we have published the tentative Evergreen Women's series Big news this year, it is presented by MVP Disc Sports. So MVP is the overall sponsor for the Evergreen Women's Series this year.
1: And would it be correct to say that this is the first time that the Evergreen Women's Series has had a big sponsor for the whole series?
0: Yes. Yes. And uh, a lot of things are in the works. We are working on um, streamlining a lot of things, making it consistent through each of the different activities. What are they called like why, why Tour- am i blanking tournaments yes so trying to make it <laughs> trying to make it consistent through the different tournaments and this year we will also be over in eastern washington we will have our first event in eastern washington so uh it's looking like february is going to be at kayak point march at tall furs april at fort stelecum may is the women's global event which happens every two years that's going to be at nad I will be hosting Shelton Springs, uh, Sirens of the Springs, it's already up on disc golf scene at uh, the lovely Shelton Springs where the Silver Series was. That reminds me of a tongue twister from childhood. Uh, Ladies of the Lakes is going to be in July at Lakewood, uh, Evergreen Fling in August at the Evergreen College, and then our new event will be over at Columbia Park in Kennewick in September with our Queens of the Jungle finale at Fairgrounds in October, Kitsap Fairgrounds, Kitsap Fairgrounds. So very excited for the 2024 season of the Evergreen Women's Series.
1: Yeah, and I can't I can't blow it up enough. Uh, please come out to the Sirens of the Springs at Shelton Springs. Uh, that is Jenny's tournament that she puts together every year, and it or not every year. She started last year. But uh, that's Jenny's tournament that she's putting together, and let's blow it up and get a bunch of people there and make it totally awesome, as well as the rest of the women's series.
0: Yeah, if you have any ideas of uh, what you think would be a fun mermaid game uh, during a disc golf tournament, let me know, because I'm looking for some ideas for some mermaid games Or if you want to
1: donate something for like the raffles or for the prizes or anything.
0: Oh man, the raffles are going to be legit this year. MVP has donated a lot of stuff to all of the events. So there's going to be, I think, baskets, discs, all sorts of other things are going to be given away this year. Thank you, MVP.
1: Yeah. And and guys out there, come out there and support your wives and your girlfriends and your significant others, your daughters also. Um, We can't. We can't say this enough that grow women's disc golf uh it's a big deal, and it's really nice to see these ladies out and having a good time,
0: yeah, you didn't say it, but uh, I mean this in the non rudest way possible. support your mom, like your mom might be out there disc <laughs> golfing because support your mom. that's what I said, yes, yes, that's not a mom joke no this this sport is for everyone. it is not just for the youngins. There's lots of older women out there. And uh, I've seen a lot of ladies out there recently supporting their men at their tournaments. And I'd love to see you guys get out there for one of the tournaments this year. Um, It's going to be a a really good year, I think.
1: Yeah, the women's series is going to be off the hook
0: this year. I'm
1: excited for it. That's how awesome it's going to be.
0: It doesn't take much to excite you when disc golf is involved. Also, talking about events, uh, recently we had Paul Gowder from PowWows.com over at Chief Kitsip Academy, and he um, he started PowWows.com years ago, and he was one of the main sponsors for the Paul Macbeth Foundation with our disc golf course that is at Chief Kitsip Academy. And he was it was lovely to have him and his wife out um, playing some disc golf. My husband was able to take them to do a round. One of our teachers, Baron Old Coyote, who's been on our podcast, he was able to go out there and play around too. And they have a nice interview that's going to be coming out. So check out powwows.com if you want to hear that interview about disc golf.
1: Well, and the other thing that was extra awesome, besides getting the ace, was that you guys were doing ocean to table during that Time too. So, not only did he get to go around and play disc golf, but got to participate a little bit in the ocean table and witness that.
0: Yep, it was my first year running Ocean to Table, um, which is a project that Chief Kitsap and the Suquamish tribe proudly put on for their students, where we get to go fishing with our students, um, go through the process of processing the fish down at Suquamish Seafoods, and then we uh, smoke and hang the fish at our smokehouse on campus. And then uh, go down and work with some more of the community members and can and uh, store the fish. So it's a huge, huge project. Looking forward to watching it grow more and more as the years go on. But it was super exciting to have them there during that time. Um, It was also exciting to hear that my husband got an ace. However, I told him I didn't see it, so it didn't count. I did go back and see that it did get caught on camera. So I guess it did happen.
1: And, and powwows.com, they also are a sponsor on the Pro Tour, uh, uh, aren't they? Yes. Or what it was uh, Leah? It's Leah. I can't, I can't say her last name. Neither but, can I. And I, I don't want to butcher it. Yeah. But uh, Leah, I guess she's a Navajo descendant player mm-hmm. on the Pro Tour. Yep. So that's really exciting.
0: And I believe we met her at Shelton Springs. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure we met her. I, I think so. I think I have her signature on my disc. I probably still can't find which yeah. one whose but, is
1: whose. But that's super cool to to get to know those guys and play with those guys. And, you know, hopefully um, they'll come on the show eventually and talk about powwows. Like that would be really cool to have them.
0: Yeah. We're looking forward to having them on our podcast soon as well.
1: All right. So this episode, Jenny. You know how we keep saying, don't listen to us, we're not experts, talk to your doctor, whatever. Well, we went out and found an expert. In fact, we went out and found the expert, and he's gonna be a guest on our show right after a word from our sponsors.
0: Hi, this is Jenny from the Intentional Disc Golfer. Wanna improve your putting game? Well, so do I. Target putt is the best way to help you get better at putting. This simple little tool increases your awareness of location, your distance, and your aiming. It's a highly visible target that allows you to focus better, aim more precisely, and dial in your distance. For less than the price of one disc, you'll have a durable target that you can use wherever you practice. It's really easy to use. Clip it on, step back, and start making better putts. Unclip it, clip it to your bag or cart for future use wherever you go. We all know that you drive for show, but you putt for dough. Have better rounds, better scores, putt with confidence, and finally fix the putting part of your game. Try Target Putt. Make every putt count. Available at GolfSideSports.myshopify.com.
1: Hi there. This is Brandon from the Intentional Disc Golfer podcast, and I want to talk to you about Disc Raptor, the ultimate disc cleaning tool. I have one attached to my disc golf bag, and it keeps me playing my best on those wet and sloppy days. Then when I'm done, I can just flip it inside out, throw it in the wash, and it's that simple. Disc Raptor is made from tough materials for durability, but its microfiber and soft scrubbing insides are gentle on your discs. Discraptor is also a U.S. owned and operated company. I've spoken to the owner, Colin, personally, and this is an entrepreneur that you can trust. Get yours today at discraptor.com. That's D-I-S-C-R-A-P-T-O-R.com. Discraptor is a proud sponsor of the Intentional Disc Golfer Podcast. Hi, this is Paul Wright with the Paul Macbeth Foundation. Support the Builders Club and support the Intentional Disc Golfer. And we're back. Thank you for listening to the Intentional Disc Golfer. On this episode, we have an excellent, super special guest. I am way excited for him, uh, for us to have him on our podcast. Um, the whole premise of this, and Jenny, you said it kind of last episode, was making the transition from a disc golf player to to a disc golf athlete. And this man is on the forefront of trying to change that paradigm and that culture within disc golf. Um, Sir, if you would mind introducing yourself.
2: Yes. Hello, everyone. Uh, I am so excited to be here. Thank you, Brandon and Jenny, for having me. My name is Seth Muncy. I am the founder and owner of Disc Golf Strong, and I'm also the director of health, safety, and sports performance for the Disc Golf Pro Tour. Uh, and I also work uh, on the medical committee for the PDGA, chair that. And I'm just really excited to be here and talk with all of you about health and sports performance and being an athlete, and and all the good things that that comes with you know our our great sport of disc golf. So thank you again.
0: Yeah, super excited to have you on. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Seth. So I guess uh, let's start right at the beginning. Here is um, how and when did you get in the disc golf. I mean, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when I think back to when I first started throwing a Frisbee, uh, I, I wish that YouTube was around or the internet was around at that time so that I would have been exposed to disc golf a lot earlier. Uh, I'm 42 now. I started throwing a Frisbee probably when I was eight years old. My uncle, I used to play with him a lot. And then I grew up on the beaches of Southern California. And my brother and I, my friends, we would throw Frisbees every single day uh, outside the house, at the park, at the beach. We were playing object golf at that time in the 90s without knowing what disc golf was. And I just fell in, I fell in love with flying discs and uh, do it, did it all the time. And I still remember uh, one year uh, someone telling me that there was a sport called disc golf and that it was about forty minutes north of us in a, a place called Huntington Beach, uh, California. And I really didn't know much about it. And I asked my parents if they would take me up there, and they said, "No, we, you know, we can't take you up there. That's too far right now for us to take you." And so I never went up there, and I, didn't, I never got exposed <laughs> to disc golf in the '90s. And I really, you know, and Huntington Beach is, the, is famous for being Paul McBeth's course, and I've talked to him about that and and told him that story and. I remember throwing a a disc, a golf disc, in probably like '95, uh, and with my brother, and it just faded so hard, it dumped so hard, and I'm like, "What is this? Uh, I <laughs> I have no intention of ever throwing this thing ever again. I can't catch this behind my back or underneath my leg as I'm jumping through the air." Uh, so I kept with frisbee, played so a little bit of ultimate frisbee at college uh, later on, and years later, uh, but when I got to disc golf was when I moved from Southern California to Northern California. And uh, I owned a gym and it was called iron Republic. And it was all about uh, lifting and being strong and functional movements and, and all the things that that are around just human movement, optimizing human movement. And they had disc golf courses up there. And so when we moved up there, I wanted to find some things to do. And so I got on Facebook, typed in, you know, different clubs, and there was a disc golf club, the Monterey Stinging Jellies, and I thought, wow, you know, I I remember hearing about disc golf a long time ago, and so this was, I think, 2011, 2012, so I went out to the disc golf course, met some people, started throwing, and just fell in love right away, and, you know, never looked back, and I was playing all the time out there on the course, and it's been something, you know, that has gone from being just a, a passion of mine to a career of mine and still a passion of mine while it's a career of mine and i'm just very fortunate to be here um yeah and i look back over my journey uh, you know when i was when i got out of high school i joined the military joined the coast guard and i was up in san francisco and i lived up there and looking back now there was disc golf courses around like near near where i was staying at in in northern california and, Like, man, all those years I could have been playing these awesome courses. And you know that that's that's in the past. I can't can't dwell on that, but I would have had probably 25, 30 years of playing disc golf right now under my belt. Um but yeah, that's where I that's that was my journey into disc golf. And uh and it's been a great one.
0: I have a I have a very similar story. Um I grew up near I played disc golf with my dad, or not disc golf, frisbee with my dad. Um, and I was mm-hmm. always near disc golf courses and I had friends that would play disc golf and I did everything I could to stay away from it. And we didn't get into it mm. until COVID and we have the five kids mm-hmm. between us. So we needed something to do and just fell in love with it. And now it's kind of our, our big passion, our obsession. Yeah. Oh, I love it. So uh, Seth, can you elaborate a little bit on your time
1: at uh, Cal state Fullerton? Uh, summa come loud. That's a pretty big deal.
2: Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's it's funny that, like, when I went to college, um, I had no idea what to expect uh, when I started, because when I was in high school, I was uh, not a great student. I barely passed high school. Um, I think I had the lowest GPA you could get uh, when you were uh, to, to get to graduate and so i went off to the military and they don't allow you to just be 18 they really teach you how to you know um be reliable be responsible a lot of the different things that i wasn't a bad kid i just didn't do a lot of homework and i didn't study and didn't really enjoy school and really didn't think that i i didn't have a growth mindset i had a real fixed mindset at that time in high school um and so the military kind of made me grow. My, my job was search and rescue and law enforcement. And so I had to be actively engaged and, and push my boundaries uh, on what I could do and what I think, what I thought I could do. And so when I got out, I went to the fire academy, thought I was going to do that. Didn't, worked on an ambulance for a couple of years doing 911 stuff. And then I went off to, to uh, Cal State Fullerton and decided to use the VA, the GI Bill, excuse me, to, to do that. And so I fell in love with training. I fell in love with training while I was working on the ambulance. I started exercising, uh, trying to just improve my life and, and my health. And so I found something that I could tap into, a passion of mine. And so when I went to college, I thought, you know what? I was not a good student. I barely graduated high school. I wonder how I'm going to do in college. And I had such an amazing time. I had great professors. My degree was kinesiology um, and K- Cal State Fullerton is one of the top kinesiology programs in the United States. So I was very fortunate to be in an environment of success and and higher learning and really pushing the boundaries of kinesiology and exercise science and health and nutrition and all that. And because it was captured in my passion, yeah, I, I graduated uh, top of my class, summa cum laude, uh, for like 400 students or something. And uh, it just really kept pushing me forward. Uh, and, and I, you know, eventually took that into disc golf. But at that time, while I was at Cal State Fullerton, uh, I happened to, I was attending a fitness conference in Long Beach, California one time. And I went and I was waiting for the conference to start. I got there the day early. And so I met up with a friend that I met online who was a strength conditioning coach as well. And so we met for a beer and I sat down um, at the we sat down at the bar and I there was this uh, gentleman to my right. My friend was to my left and we were talking and I was talking to him about, you know, different programs I was doing. And he was doing the same. And I mentioned that I was doing I went down to San Diego to do this kettlebell program and be like a, they call them victims. Like you could sh- show up for a free kettlebell <laughs> lesson. Yeah, it was a Russian kettlebell, That's the RKC. Russian strangely fitting. Yeah, right. And so you could get a free lesson if you show up on Sundays because the people that were going through the kettlebell certification, they were going to coach you. And so they had to pass their, one of the things to pass their certifications was they had to coach fresh people that were just showing up for a lesson. And so I drove down to San Diego to do this. And so I was telling the, uh, my friend this and the gentleman to my right sitting there enjoying a beer. Uh, he stopped me and said, Hey, are you, uh, you went down to San Diego for this kettlebell lesson? And I said, yeah, it was a great time. And he said, I got certified at that kettlebell, uh, course. And I thought, wow, that's, that's great. Yeah. I had a, I had a great time. How'd you enjoy it? And you know, we got to talking and. Uh, he said, um, he said, my name is Sean Skein and I'm the strength coach for the Anaheim Ducks. And I was like, wow, uh, coach Skane. I, it was, it's a pleasure to meet you. I've listened to your podcasts and everything. And that kind of turned into that day. He offered uh, me a position to work at the Anaheim Ducks uh, with him as an intern assistant strength coach. And so that was a really big turning point in my career to where uh, I went for a beer with a friend and ended up as a an as intern assistant strength coach with the Anaheim Ducks, and I got to learn a whole lot there during my time, and learned what it took to train and work with elite athletes, and kind of a lot of the misconceptions around uh, training athletes at the highest level uh, that, that some might think, and it just really shaped what I did in disc, what I do in disc golf with my with my athletes now. And so I really value that experience. And uh, yeah, there's a whole lot I could say about, you know, Cal State Fullerton and the kinesiology program and, you know, and everything I learned there. But I'll, you know, I'll wrap it up there for for Cal State Fullerton. But I I left there. I had I had a job opportunity to stay with the Ducks and decided that I didn't really want to travel. Um, that much for work and be gone that often because Sean, who ended up moving off to the Minnesota wild as the strength coach there, um, he was gone all the time. He was gone, uh, you know, missed a lot of anniversaries and birthday parties for his kids and all that. So I thought, you know, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to continue that route. And so declined his offer to stay and went and opened up my own gym instead uh, Iron Republic for those four years before I moved into Disc Golf Strong, and it's kind of ironic that uh, my job now with the Disc Golf Pro Tour has me on the road for for nine months <laughs> uh, of my life <laughs> working in professional sports. But um, but yeah, that's kind of a little snapshot of my my journey uh, up to starting Disc Golf Strong. And then I started Disc Golf Strong in 2016. I officially, I kind of started working on it in 2015. Started it um, very beginning of of 2016, and uh, it just you know there was no one really talking about these topics uh, about about performance and being an athlete or anything at that time. And you know I felt like with my background and my love for disc golf and seeing my fellow disc golfers out on the course not performing uh, the way they wanted to uh, during their rounds and and having injuries and challenges that they were facing, I thought you know hey I've got to background in rotational sports and in strength conditioning. I, this is what I do for work. This is my passion, disc golf's my passion. Let me start putting content out there. And so, started doing that and started, you know, traveling around for disc golf. And in 20, I started partnering with their Pro Tour early on. And then in 2021, um, they asked me to, if I would just come on and work full-time for the tour. And so, I've been working full-time for them since 2021, up until uh, present
0: that's uh very impressive that's quite the journey that, that is yeah, quite thank the you
2: tr- yeah it's it feels uh, it's it's interesting because you know we you know i'm 4 i'm still young i'm 42 and i spend most of my time around 18 19 20 year olds and <laughs> you know they're like they're like uh you know they're like so what did you, you do before this and i i just kind of give them a little <laughs> snapshot and they're like what the and I'm like, don't, you know, you don't, you know, our journeys, we don't, it, it just, it feels, it goes by quick. You know, it, it, it is, it feels like it was just yesterday, all of this, um, you know, up to this point, but uh, but I'm, I'm I'm, very grateful for, for the journey that I've had.
0: Yeah. So uh, as a teacher myself, I heard you talking about um, yourself as a student and that you didn't have the the, you had the fixed mindset and now you're more of a growth mindset. And I know that when we Mm -hmm. spoke with Eric, he was, uh, talking very highly about, um, your ideas on mindset and how that applies to the course. Um, do you have any tips Mm -hmm. that you, you know, things you'd like to share with people about mindset out on the course?
2: Yeah. You know, and Eric's, Eric's great. I'm so glad you got to, you know, spend some time talking to Eric. I've been working with Eric since probably 2017, Um, him and Tina when Tina was working uh, full-time as a disc golf athlete and so it's been great to see his journey uh, as as well as other athletes journey through not only their physical performance um, but their mental performance and as well and so there's so much to you know tap into on on mental skills and and all that but the first thing I would say is Uh, for everyone is I identify as an athlete. And I know, you know, Janet, we kind of talked a little earlier about that, about like, you know, being an athlete and being a disc golf athlete. And that was the first thing, my very first video, I'm pretty sure uh, that I put out um, in 2016 was, I said, hey, disc golf athletes, uh, because I wanted to make it clear right away uh, from the start that we are athletes, whether we're pro, whether we're amateur, we're athletes. We're doing an athletic movement, even if we don't think we are. Our, the demands on our body um, are are high stress, high tension. There's there's so many demands that we could talk about, but but you know, really to sum it up, we're an athlete. And so, if we think of this as a hobby, um, we're going to treat it like a hobby. And not that that's bad, but that can increase our risk of uh, injuries and and not performing at our best and not uh, mentally performing at our best. Um, But if we think of ourselves as an an athlete, prepping ourselves makes sense. Training makes sense. Thinking about your mental, improving your mental game makes sense, Uh, you know, because that's what athletes do. So that's the first thing is really identifying, identifying as an athlete. Um, No matter matter how long you've been playing, uh, no matter what your rating is, or even if you have a rating, uh, you're still an athlete, um, and then on the mental side, there's mental, you know, there's mental health, mental skills, mental performance, you know, and and the first thing I say is I'm a huge believer in mental health. Uh, you gotta you gotta work on your mental health because I've I've worked with people that were mental. They were trying to work on their mental skills, and you know their mental skills got better. Or they were able to easily, more easily, tap into mental skills training when they worked on their mental health, as far as like meditation and, you know, getting enough sleep and, you know, having a growth mindset because, you know, mental skills training and mental performance on the course, it's not easily as easily accessible, uh, and can feel not attainable when you have poor sleep, you know, and your, uh brain is just thinking about all these different things that are going on in your life and you're really stressed out. And so people are like, why is my breathing drill on the course not working? Well, it's like, well, you're, you know, you're so tense and everything because you've got a lot of good stuff going on in your life that you're, you know, you need, you need to kind of put some focus into. So first is focus on your mental health, meditation, mindfulness, read, you know, work on a growth mindset all those things for mental health side uh and then mental skills training there's a lot that can be said about mental skills training um and you know it depends on how deep you want to go into it um but i'll say i'll say uh two things i'll just cover two things on mental skills training first before i say those two things i'll say there's a lot of great books out there um there's so many good books and um, i've read a lot of them I've done a lot of different mental skills stuff. Um, I was not a professional athlete, but I was a professional under pressure when I was on the ambulance and in the military doing doing my job there. So I had to be able to show up, do my job under pressure when it counted, and and uh, and then recover from that afterwards and to be able to do it again. And so I lean heavily into my my mental training from the military and the ambulance into how I coach my athletes through mental skills and performance training. And so the first thing I'll say is with the books is I talked to a lot of people who say, Oh, I've read this book. I've read that book and I'm not, I haven't seen any benefits from it. And I love, like I said, I love books, but I'll ask them, say, what are, what's one to two things you got from that book? that you are actively, uh, you know, doing in your routine, off the course, on the course, what are you implementing? And a lot of times the response is, you know, it was a really great book. <laughs> so I said, I agree, you know, that's <laughs> what that is. I'm sure, no doubt that's a great book, but you gotta take away some things and actively work on it. So we work on our putting, We work on our driving. We work on backhand form and forehand form and all that. Mental skills is something we need to work on, just like we work on putting, just like we work on all those other skills. It needs to be addressed off the course so that it can be put into practice and used on the course when it counts. So um, one thing that we think about is... um, not trying to control the, the uncontrollables. Uh, I talked about with Eric about this. I've talked with all my athletes about this. Yeah. He spoke it's, about that on a
1: podcast. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Great. Cause you, if you, if you try to control the uncontrollables, it's never going to go the, the way you want it to go. Um, because we just can't, we can't, we can only control what we, what we can do right now. My uh, sports psychology professor in college, Dr. Ken Revisa, the late Dr. Ken Revisa, he was, he was amazing. He was one of the foremost experts in the world on, in, in sports psychology. And uh, I was very fortunate to, to be around him and take his class, which one was one of the most stressful classes I've ever taken, <laughs> uh, which is funny because we would, we would open up with meditation and close with meditation every day. But he was so old school, he wouldn't use a book he just talked he didn't even use slides and then his graduate assistants would give us the test based on whatever they think they had written down <laughs> and so we we would be we would have to take these tests and i be, we'd be so stressed out you trying to use these mental skills techniques while we're trying to take a test in mental skills and performance class sports psychology class And be like, did he even talk about this? And, you know, I was like, (laughs) I think maybe the graduate assistant just decided to put this question in there, you know? But anyways, Dr. Ken Reviza, he worked with Blue Angels pilots. He worked with uh, neurosurgeons. He worked with professional athletes all over. He worked with all sorts of high-level performers. And he worked with the Blue—he worked with the Angels baseball, which was down there nearest. And he would tell us uh, that uh, during spring training, he'd be working with pitchers and— the pitcher he would see that the pitcher on the mound would be getting frustrated that he'd be out of the strike zone and you know um it was just building up so what he would do is he would walk out with a, with a ball and he the pitcher would already have one ball in his hand and he'd hand him the second ball and say okay the rest of the time today i want you to throw both of these balls at the same time and they would say what well, coach how am i supposed to how am i supposed to be successful throwing two balls at the same time he said well you're already throwing two balls at the same time you're throwing one mentally that you just threw and you're trying to throw this one that's in your hand you can't control what happened before you can't control what your next pitch will be you can only control what's going to happen with the ball in your hand and you can't even control it once it releases all you can control is what you can control so if you're going to try to throw two balls mentally you might as well throw two (laughs) balls physically like at the same time (laughs) right we can't control that when i was in when i was doing search and rescue like i there was a lot of things that i couldn't control if someone was injured and i showed up in that ambulance all i could control was what i was doing in the moment i couldn't control what was going to happen to that person or anything and the same thing on the disc golf course once that disc releases out of your hand if the wind takes it and it hits a tree and it rolls OB. There's nothing you can do about that. Like, you know, like, does it suck? Yes, it sucks. But there's nothing that you can do to control it back in bounds. So you just have to walk up, say I'm a professional or I'm an amateur and I'm, I'm ready to go. And you know <laughs> this isn't just for professionals, but I'm I'm ready to go. And all I can do now is throw my next shot. I, I can't throw two discs at the same time the one that i the one that that hit the tree and ran rolled ob and the one i'm about to throw right or i'm going for the winning putt or the winning drive or i you know i'm, I'm two strokes back and i could you know if i birdie this i could win whatever you can't control what's going to happen next yeah. and that's what a lot of people lose things is they're trying to think about already like oh man if i do this and this i might win or if this and this happens you can only control the disk in your hand, right? And so that's the that's the first thing. Uh, another one is you know, event plus response equals outcome. E plus r equals o. There's an event. We get to choose how we respond to that event. And that equals the outcome. E plus r equals o. So that's kind of what the control the uncontrollables if 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 I, if I, you know, that disc comes out of my hand, it hits a tree, wind blows it, you know, whatever. I have to choose the response in the moment. If I walk up and I'm frustrated and all that, their chances of success are lower. Could, could success happen with me all fired up because of what happened? Yeah, sure. Like there is a chance, but there's a better chance of having a more positive outcome, I can't guarantee the outcome, but there's a better chance of that outcome if I walk up and my response is I'm throwing what I'm throwing, right? Mm -hmm. And when we think about like, like people will say, Seth, but you know, like I'm like, why why can't I get fired up? Fire can cook your food or it can burn your house down, right? (laughs) I've seen players (laughs) where... Right. I've seen players where it's like, I've seen players on tour where fire cooks their food. You know, they get like two, two bogeys in a row and they get fired up. You're like, Oh gosh, they're about to birdie the next day. Like you're just, because they're, it's, it's not that they're, they're not kicking their bag. They're channeling it. to like, okay, I'm locking in, like I'm fired up with what's happening. So I'm locking in and I'm, you know, going to focus on what, you know, keep my focus forward and all that. Or there's people that they, burn their house down you know they're they're frustrated they're kicking their bag they're throwing Mm -hmm. whatever
1: Jenny's looking at me I'm guilty of
2: this (laughs) 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 all right and and you know what I tell people that that, that they're like like I but I just can't get over it and so I say don't get over it just give yourself permission to not getting over it after the last putt like Mm-hmm. Give yourself permission there. Say, I'm going to be so upset about this. Like, I am so mad that the wind did this, or I'm so mad that the OB line did that. And after this round is over, I'm going to do something very mad wise, <laughs> right? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to kick something or I'm going to, you know, punch my fist into my other hand or whatever. I'm going to give myself permission to release all that afterwards. And then it's not like you have to just let it go. If you like, that's not, it's just not me. It's not me. It's not, it's not who I am. I, I, I get fired up. Hey, get is fired. That, like cook your food now, burn your house down after.
1: Is <laughs> that kind of like a, you know, I'll forgive myself, but I'm not going to forget.
2: Yeah, there you go. Like, right. That's, and that's fine. Right. And so like you have to, and if you look at other sports, like they have to, like, you know, you can have baseball pitchers and or baseball players and they're you know it's the world series and they're one one strike away from winning and you look at them and they're not high-fiving each other yet they're just they're like they're like we have to wait like we're just here like Mm -hmm. you know um you you gotta wait until the until it's all over and then and then you know burn your house down or you know or get all ecstatic and jump around and high-five people you know like try to channel the energy that you need for for what you need. And then afterwards, you know, let it all out later.
1: Well, I think that's one of the attractive points of disc golf or, or golf type sports is that it is kind of this perfect mesh of both the mental and the physical.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I Absolutely. was going to say one of the, the selling points for uh chief kitsap getting the uh disc golf course was I was explaining that you know we have some kids with behavioral issues and so what I can do is I can take one of those kids out there and be like hey you want to go throw a couple holes and it's usually by the time mm. we just finish the first one that they're starting to regulate and things like that or just going for a walk through the course and yeah so it it's yeah. it really does part of it I think is um the healing energies of being outside in nature too So I think that contributes to our mental health out there on the course too. For
2: sure, Yeah, absolutely.
0: Oh, so um, I really appreciate that you
1: call them mental skills because that really shifts kind of my thinking into, you know, this is a skill just like throwing the disc or putting that you have to develop. You have to practice it and you're absolutely right. When you're out there in it, it's if you don't rehearse these things in your mind, you cannot draw up. Uh, you know, draw up those inspirations and those feelings when you're, you know, in it sometimes, especially if you're having a tough round. I remember when I was playing hockey, I used to visualize, you know, the different saves and different things that I'd make uh, all the time.
2: Hmm. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. You, you know, the the more that you can do that and, and tap into that before, the better you're going to be able to access it, you know, when when you need it. Um. In in all levels, like I, going back to like the the Coast Guard or the ambulance, like we we would practice things ahead of time. We would drill things. We would go through things so that we could stay focused and stay in the moment and and you know uh, be comfortable being uncomfortable, you know, uh, when we needed to. Uh, if we didn't do that, we would be in a much worse position when, you know, when those tones go off and we got to show up and and make things happen. But it's, so if if mentally we're not preparing ourselves for the level of stress that we're gonna get on the course, um, you know, it it can really set us back in, in certain ways. And really one challenge that we have about disc golf is that there's not really any adversity in disc golf until the, you know, until you, you tee off on one, you know, off or a tournament <laughs> round. like there's not much adversity, right? Like in, in high school, Oh, well, let's get, let, I was going to say baseball. Let's go, let's go hockey. Right. You, you played hockey. So, um, random Tuesday night practice. If you're just out there, just, you know, you know, kicking around, not putting any effort in, you know, uh, not really making sure that you want to make the plays, what happens? Like, is the coach like, oh, Brandon, like, great job today just kind of, you know, skating around and, you know, making snow angels, you know, or ice angels. Like, <laughs> what was what, going to happen to you?
1: I'm probably going to get You're a puck probably fired gonna, at my head. <laughs> you are, <laughs> Yeah, right? wake up.
2: You're, yeah, coach is going to be like, Brandon, on the bench. This guy wants it more, right? Like, so there's adversity. You've got to show up and you've got to perform on a random Tuesday night practice right where in disc golf we don't have any of that adversity um you know now people can have stress that oh gosh there's a tournament coming up but actual tournament play we don't i i had an athlete one time uh, on tour and a couple years ago and he's like ah seth you know like i just i'm so frustrated because i i have really good practice rounds and they feel just i feel so on during practice Feel so good and loose during practice, but I just can't translate it into my tournament rounds. What do you think's the problem? And I told him, I said, you know, um, I've watched you practice, and and the thing I'll say is this: um, your practice rounds are usually you and six other dudes out there laughing, making jokes, having fun, talking about what's going on, about floating down the river on Monday. Uh, you know, you're throwing five discs on a every tee pad, even though three of those are discs you never would even think to throw on that hole. You're just, you know, putting reps in for rep's sake. Um, you're not paying attention. You're not being intentional. You're not staying focused. And then it's all carefree, uh, you know, on Thursday and Friday when, you know, the money and the contracts and, you know, everything's on the line. Now it's like, oh, gosh, this is a different game from yesterday. Yesterday was throwing discs for friends. Today is throwing discs for for my livelihood. And so that's a total different stress altogether. And so now you can't just 100% replicate that. But uh, there are ways to replicate that. But really the first thing is being very intentional about your practice rounds, being with very intentional about your skill. Like you look at Ricky, I used to tell people now, now I can list a whole lot more names, but back in like 2016, uh, if I don't say any names, doesn't mean that they're not great golfers or anything, but I would tell people, you know, everyone wants to do what Paul, Ricky and Eagle do, but very few people want to do what Paul, Ricky and Eagle do, you know, uh, they want to, they want to, they want to hold the trophy over their head you know, but they don't want to show up on Thursday and, and Wednesday and Thursday and play practice rounds by themselves or with one other person, take notes in a notebook, you know, um, you know, work on meditation and breath work and make sure they're getting enough sleep. And, you know, so, uh, there's, there's a lot of adversity on the course for everyone. And even, even as AMS, you know, we, we want to perform well, but we don't have that adversity, Uh, during our practice rounds and that we do during the tournament rounds. And we wonder why, you know, we get frustrated and why everything was felt great yesterday and not Mm -hmm. great today.
1: You ever tried golfing with five kids? Yeah. That's adversity. (laughs) 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 Yeah.
2: (laughs) There you go.
0: Yeah. We, uh, that's, uh, partially why we, we named our podcast, the intentional disc golfer is we were trying to come up with, you know, what, what do we need to do to really take this game to the next level. And I think that you said it very well, uh, talking about going out and doing um, what Eagle and Ricky and Paul do on a regular basis. And so that's, we're kind of going through those steps, making those changes ourselves and sharing that with our listeners too.
2: I love it.
1: So um, before we get too far detached, uh, I know it's like half hour later, but... I, I've been wanting to say uh, thank you for your service, sir. It's guys like oh. you out there doing what you do that make it possible for us to do what we do, and it, that is not going unnoticed. At least not here. And to all of our service members and veterans out there, thank you.
2: Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. It was it was definitely it was an honor, a pleasure for four amazing years of my life that you know I always look back fondly on and. you know, it has been over 20 years. Uh, I would have been retired by now, um, from the military if I would have stayed in, but, um, the people that I worked with, uh, they, you know, some of my closest friends, brothers and sisters for life. And I just, I appreciate that. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. So you kind of got into talking about having the Uh, getting the mental game all set up for success. Uh, You talked a little bit about getting your environmental conditions set up for success. So uh, setting up your environment, how do I go about doing that? Where do I start? Uh, Can you point us in the right direction?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Setting your environment up for success is so critical. um, If you want to achieve uh, most things that we want to achieve in life, we got to have You know an environment that that allows us to thrive the conditions that that allow us to keep moving forward and setting your environment for success is like it's one of the first things i talk about with people um that want to make any any sort of change um you know usually usually positive i don't really have, have anyone wanting to do a negative change but a positive change in their life like you need to come um,
1: down a peg or two here. Like, come on. Yeah, <laughs> there you
2: go, Exactly. <laughs> you get realistic. Um, <laughs> no, the, thing is, the, thing, the, the thing is, this. Like, I'll say this. Like, uh, there's gonna be so much to say. The first thing I'll say is, like, I love ice cream. Uh, my my, I have great fond memories of my grandmother. Uh, she would always make us chocolate shakes and. We, you know, lie on the couch, my head on her, on her lap, running her fingers through my hair as I'm drinking a chocolate shake. My uncle would always say, "Ice cream is the cure for everything." I love ice cream. If I have a pint of ice cream, if I have a gallon of ice cream in the house, I'm going to eat it every night. Uh, if I don't, there's a much greater chance that I don't eat it every night. I'm setting myself up for success.
1: All right, what's your uh, you go-to? Know, I'm setting
2: my environment up. Oh God, I, I love uh, chocolate chip cookie dough. But the thing (laughs) is, there's a lot more places now that you're like, no, this is vanilla with like three or four pieces of cookie dough in there. So, you know, my oldest daughter, she that was her go to. But she found the same thing that, you know, there's only a few places uh, that really actually have the cookie dough in there. Uh, But chocolate peanut butter mint shit. I mean, there's so many. Um, so uh, I think I'm going to reward myself with ice cream after this podcast. Hey, there you go. Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, no, but you got to set your environment up for success. You got to, you know, most of the time, the things that keep us from our goals is not that we don't want to reach our goals, that we don't think that, that we're going to find value um, out of, out of, out of attaining them or moving closer to them. It's that there's there's a little roadblock in between, uh, you know what we where we are at and what we where we want to be, and so removing that roadblock and realizing that it's not a roadblock, uh, it's probably just a speed bump, and that we can get over speed bumps, and setting your environment for success is just a speed bump. If I am working with someone and they're like, you know, I, I'm just having a really hard time doing any sort of physical movement um and i talk to them and they're like you know i've got no space to train in my house I'm like well let's how about you uh you know just clear out a little area and you designate like that's where i do my planks and my you know dead bugs and my side planks and stuff right like you know that uh, i'm gonna keep a, a resistance band by my bed. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to do some shoulder exercises real quick before I brush my teeth or after brush my teeth. Like there's, there's all different ways that you can think about setting your environment up for success, uh, both physically, nutritionally. Like if I want to read a book on, uh, you know, let's say mental skills, mental performance, mental health, whatever. Uh, having it by my bed is going to be uh, much easier for me to do than if that book is out in my garage. And so I need to think about how can I, and and everyone else that's listening is think about what are little things that you can do to set your environment up Um, because you're going to find it much more easily uh, accessible and attainable um, if you do that.
1: So in a nutshell, it's uh, make it, make success easier and more accessible and make the failures or the, the obstacles more difficult.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Remove the rem, remove as much, uh, um, static and in interference between you and where you, and what you want to do, um, remove as much as you can, you know, and you're going to find it easier, uh, an, an easier path, not an easy path, but
1: an easier path. Well, somebody really wise once said to me uh, once that there's a difference between easy and simple setting up your environment might be, you know, simple to do and you put the resistance band next to the bed or uh, like Jenny keeps a uh, little peddler thing underneath her desk at school. So she can stand there and work out at school. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But Mm -hmm. doing that is not necessarily always easy.
0: Yeah, I can tell you that I have not used the pedal thing at my desk uh, at all this year. However, we do have a a large campus, so I'm always out walking and making sure that I get my steps in. But yeah, it's there, but I haven't used it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, well, there you go. You're getting the walking in. That's good. But like, so how do we, you know, um, when when we have something and we're just not using it, go, what what is my... Relationship with how I think about I'm supposed to use that right. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, one thing we talk about here, at disc golf strong, is a concept of good, better, best. Uh, you know, one minute is better than zero minutes. You know, it all adds up. Consistency is the magic pill you must swallow. So many phrases I can you know start spurting out, but um, that that's it. Like you know, a lot of people that I would work with say that we're former you know, high level athletes, they'd be like, oh man, you know, I, Seth, I want to, I want to make improvements in my life and I want to start working out. Um, But, you know, it's, I'm finding it really hard to, to train for an hour, like I used to back in high school or college, you know, and, and back to deadlifts and Olympic lifts, all the different cleans and jerks and this and that. And I'm like, can you put on your shoes and go for a five minute walk with your family or something? You know, like, yeah, I can do that. I'm like, that's a great start. Hey, it counts. It adds up, you know, um, can I put the, ped- use the peddler for a minute? And, you know, when a minute's easy, then it's like, well, oh, I've already been doing this for a minute. Like it, uh, I told an athlete this the other day uh, while talking about off season training stuff. And um, I told him, I said, give yourself, if you, if you commit to five minutes of this one thing we were talking about, five minutes. And if you get five minutes, check done. Right. But you most, you might find that you get five minutes and you're like, man, I'm really enjoying this right now. And so you keep going, but if not in five minutes, is it, you you know, good. That's good. It's not, there's no, there's no bad, there's no wrong. It all adds up. And so just little bits at a time, bite-sized is the way to success is, you know, uh, a great way to think about it because a lot of people like say that want to get better for disc golf or for their you know with their performance or their skills or anything I'm like hey it, it all it's all good any progress is progress and so if you can do a minute of something that is that's good because what, when we talk about motivation uh, action precedes motivation right like everyone's waiting to um be motivated to do something. But if we think that we get motivation is built by seeing the results of action, even if it's a small action and we go, that felt good to do that for just a few minutes. I think I'll do that again the next time tomorrow. But if I don't, I don't, I, I have no judgment. I tell my athletes, like there's no judgment. If they come in and like Seth, I haven't worked out for like a week. I'm like, Hey, that's okay. You probably had other pressing things. Let's get back to it this week. How can we help do that? You know? And so, uh, if we start judging ourselves and like, ah, oh, man, I wanted to do it for a minute each day and I just didn't, um, you know, that can, that can be a roadblock versus if we think about just things as speed bumps, like I said earlier, speed bumps, we can get over. Um, yeah.
1: I'm glad you touched on the uh, motivation. Cause that's actually what I was going to ask you next. Um, I did want to make a uh, anecdote though. Is that uh, I was listening to Joe Rogan talking to an MMA fighter, and he said the secret to training is not going in and killing yourself three days a week and, and doing the you know three sets of ten and that thing. The trick to training is do a little bit every day, and then by the end of the week, that person that's not sore and not killing themselves every day is going to have more volume and more training reps or whatever it is uh than the person that's just doing the heavy lifting three times
2: a day absolutely absolutely um a a, a friend a mentor of mine he's uh a world-class strength and conditioning coach uh he's uh been doing it for like 40 years now um and he's worked with high-level olympians and nfl and all these other sports but he's he's worked with a lot in the special operations um, uh, field and so he, he jokes about it all the time how um, you know he's like you know everyone thinks about Navy SEALs and Delta Force training and this and that he goes so you know you got people that think that they need to train like a Navy SEAL just to go out and get the mail you know without pain uh, and it's like no <laughs> one you don't need to train like that and two like he trains special forces like he trains operators if if they train the way that people think that they train, now whether there's some people that just go hard. Yes, but in general, they're moving away from that. Um, they train hard, but they train smart. And there's times when you can train. Like you know, if 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 you get the call that you got to be out in 24 hours, you got to be in another country, and you're like, yeah, yeah, but I just did legs yesterday, and you know, my <laughs> knees are so sore, <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna be able to get out of the helicopter. It's like no, you gotta be prepared to go, like you know. And uh, I, I happen, I had the great uh, honor of uh, working with. Uh, I went to, and I got my um, years ago wilderness first responder certification. So that's awesome. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, I loved it, and it's totally different from my time on the ambulance. Uh, and you know, ambulance is like. Are you going to the hospital? Yes. (laughs) Logo. Wilderness first responder. Wilderness first responder is like, okay, well, we're like three days hike out of here. Or, you know, uh, they won't be out here for another like eight hours. You know, um, should we call in a helicopter or you just, you know, kind of having some stress. So uh, it was great. And I got partnered up with this uh, gentleman who um, found out he was a Navy SEAL. And I thought, you know, that's great. Like we, we connected, um, just from military stuff and he didn't really say what he did in the Navy SEALs, but he was doing some, some executive program coaching and stuff and outdoor retreat. So I looked up his name just to kind of learn more about him. Can I take a I guess at this? More. Okay.
1: David Goggins. Yeah.
2: No, definitely oh. not David Goggins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was actually like the opposite of David Goggins. Um, And because this Navy SEAL turned out to be he was the former commander of SEAL Team six. Oh, wow. Wow. um, Yes. And he also uh, developed and ran the presidential protection program for the president of uh, Iraq. uh, um, Back when they first you know, when everything kind of changed in Iraq. And so I talked to him, I was talking to him about just different concepts and we started talking about breathing and stuff. And he's like, Oh, that's, that's like one of the most important things I do as a seal. Like I breathe, you know, focus on, you know, staying relaxed and breathing. And it's not because, you know, when, when he's out there underperforming, you know, under pressure, it's not that he just did, a uh, uh, you know, PR on his, you know, hang clean, that's going to make him the best performer it's going to be that he could stay under control he was strong enough. And then he could tap into, you know, using that strength the way he needed to use that strength. And so breath work and stuff. Everyone thinks that you got to train crazy. When I, when I worked with the, when I first went to train with the Anaheim ducks, I thought, man, these are elite athletes. I'm going to see the craziest stuff. I'm going to see all this complexity and, everything when they were, we i walk in first it was like my coach didn't even introduce me to everyone he's just like all right uh team's about to come in work out on the board coach them i'm like uh like tamu solani uh, you know like yeah, Ryan right like all cory cory uh, cory perry like uh, everyone just walks in i'm like oh hello everyone i'm coach seth you know <laughs> here i am uh and so uh, that was very stressful for me but you know that's probably what he wanted <laughs> um, but what was on the board was like glue bridges, side planks, half kneeling kettlebell press, not PR, just a half kneeling kettlebell press some Turkish get ups, things like that. And I was like, what, like, why are we not doing the stuff that I see on Instagram? Um, and there's, and he said, you know, to me, uh, when we were just talking about training and stuff, he he, we talk about risk versus reward, you know, the show's not, the show's not in the weight room, the show's on the ice, right? And so he had to be very, um, he had to filter everything down and to what was gonna make the most sense and what was gonna be the most intentional for those athletes and help them be the best athlete they can be, not be like the coolest looking athlete on Instagram. (laughs) And so that you'll see that in a lot of my programming and stuff, you know, I don't, I'm working with these players that are going for whatever contract size they're, you know, that that might be, you know, pushed across the table to them. And if I'm sitting there and I'm doing some crazy complex exercise that, you know, they should have no business doing um, that they didn't earn um, through prior training, then I blow out their knee and you know doing a crazy single leg box jump onto a boshu ball or something like that's just not beneficial like you know and so i kind of don't know how i got off on this tangent down this road but we're here (laughs) and so you know like it's 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 how you train should be very intentional and it should be um you know risk versus reward and and do the foundational stuff so um yes, let's, where should we go from here?
1: Well, and uh, I like what you said, and I heard it on another interview that you did uh, earlier when we were doing our show research is that uh, you have to earn the right to Mm. have certain exercises in your repertoire. So maybe let's uh, start from the top. Let's talk about like, how do you, these elite athletes and even like amateur athletes, how do you warm up for something like this?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So first let's touch on this earned concept. So the thing is um, my players or anyone, any athlete that I'm working with, whether they're pro amateur or I just want to be active in my life and play with my kids. Like I, they have to, and this is a good thing. They have to earn complexity. They have to earn intensity. They have to earn load. They have to earn variety. They have to earn all that and it's not like the military type urn it's just like you know uh my my child should learn how to walk before i just lift them up and say now run you know i don't just hold on to put them up their feet and be like run no they've got to go through all the steps to get to running um and the same thing is with training or whatever we're doing we're trying to be successful at if we earn it we're going to uh, find so much more success and so much less chance of injury risk and results that we didn't want, uh, non productive results. So, I do that with all my athletes and everyone. So, you know, um, there's a skill age, like a lot of people will look at professional athletes and, uh, like, say, professional disc golfers, and they'll say, you know, uh, that person should train like an alpha. Someone said that one time to a video that I had uh, showing. Um, I think it was Ricky doing some sort of exercise and um, like there's a skill age and then there's like a training slash experience age. Right. And so if you are performing really well in the course, but you've never done a deadlift or a hip hinge movement or a squat, or you don't do any core stuff, you shouldn't just be going to the most, the most advanced things. We should all start out with the foundational stuff. Um, When it comes to, training for disc golf, or for any sport. But let's talk about disc golf. Let's stay focused on disc golf is there's a lot of ways that people want to improve on by just their skill and skill development. And and I skill development is important. Uh, you know, we, we should work on on skill and technique acquisition. But that's like the top of the pyramid. And that's where we should eventually reach. But a lot of us, we don't focus on the fundamentals and the foundational base first. And so what we're doing is as we're trying to get better as disc golf athletes, um, we are trying to apply technique solutions to what many times are movement problems. And so so an easy example here is somebody's trying to uh, do some technique, skill, practice, where they've watched online someone, uh, that is, you know, trying to show them how to get more, uh, get a more reach in their, in their backhand. So, um, they're, they're, they're doing all these drills and they're just not getting the success they want. Well, maybe their upper back just doesn't have the adequate mobility to be able to rotate through the thoracic spine, in the upper back. And so we're trying to do a skill. We're trying to apply a skill, solution technique solution to something that is very much a movement problem so we get you more upper back mobility and now you can get more reach back um in your in your technique um so to your question about warming up um that was your question right warming up
1: yeah yeah um talk about like kind of how to how to warm up effectively how long should i warm up um yeah what, what should kind of my tar- how do i know when i'm warmed up i mean
2: yeah absolutely so if we look at warm up so so i guess i went on that whole down that whole path to now with the warm-ups of warm-ups are focused on the warm-ups that i do on tour the warm-ups i show um the first thing i put out uh with disc golf strong was a, a warm-up a pre-on warm-up because you know it it I'm glad you're, you're touching on it because it is, it's so foundational. Every other athlete in other sports, they warm up. And so if we want to have something we can do right away that can impact our performance on the course, lower injury risk, uh, get us prepared to, to, you know, optimize our potential is warming up now. I think that also helps us
0: to think about that. We're an athlete too. Because okay. I know when I would just go out and play, it wasn't the same as now that I've started warming up. Like it gets me into that athletic mindset you too. That mental shift. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point.
2: Yes, absolutely. And and in warmups were always like when I, I remember like there was a tournament, um, a home home course tournament back in like, this was 2016. I think uh, when this happened and you know, I was, talking to my friend that was running the tournament. I was like, hey, you know, what about I just show a warm-up? And so I've been putting stuff out online, and I was already kind of working with Madison Walker and Sarah Hokum and stuff. And so I was like, how about I just do, like, do a little pre-round warm-up for people if they want? And he's like, yeah, that's a great idea. So we're all kind of hanging out, and I yell out. There's a lot of people there. I'm like, hey, if anyone wants to do a pre-round warm-up, come on over here. And, you know, it's just going to take a couple minutes, We can just go right through it not even like my best friends came over. Like my wife was there to like, you know, and she was like, uh, I was like, everyone knows that like, I, this is what I do. And everyone's like, I'm not doing that. Like, you're getting that crazy. side not because of this,
1: you're getting the side eye from but the that, wife. Like you're embarrassing me. <laughs>
2: yeah. She's like, you know, like, Whoa, what is going on here? Right. Like nobody wanted to be like, it's just warming up was not, Popular. It was just one. It's not the culture of our sport, right? I I taught a clinic with Eric and Tina Oakley back in. Uh, um, we were in Sweden. We taught in a couple different countries, but we were in Sweden uh, when this story happened. And there was like fifty or sixty people there, and uh, I was doing my portion of it. And so I said, "How many of you uh, play some sort of sport other than disc golf that you grew up playing, like you know, football or um, high- hockey or something?" And everyone raised their hand. And I said, how many of you, before you practice or play that sport, warm up? And everyone raised their hand. I said, how many of you warm up for disc golf? And no one raised their hand. And everyone's (laughs) laughing and stuff. I said, so if this all magically went from a disc golf clinic to an ice hockey or a soccer or football clinic, you guys would all, and I said, warm up. You'd all be like, you know, touching fingers, like, okay, let's give each other space. Like, we got to do our warm ups, right? And so... um, you know, obviously they were there to hear what I had to say. So they were kind of vested in, but still they, it just wasn't cool. So it's great to see the first many years of, of Disco Strong was just trying to get not only people thinking about themselves as athletes, but also like thinking about like changing the culture around warming up. And so we, we keep it simple. So with the, with the, with what I do on the tour um, is I keep it simple I keep it actionable, I keep it relevant to what we're doing, and I keep it routine. And so there's a lot of things when we think about warm-ups, we look at soccer warm-ups, or we look at baseball warm-ups, we look at, you know, warm-ups are evolving um, to be something other than just like, A, something to just get people moving, athletes moving, and be like a, a time killer for the coach, you know, when he wants to, like, you know, like, <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, we got warm ups. Go, go run for 10 minutes and come back, and then we're going to do some high knees and some ace kits and stuff. It's like, it wasn't really thought out. It was kind of just like, you know, okay, we got an hour, two hour session, you know, uh, let's, let's well, like, try to just wait, use up some of that time, warming up.
1: Well, like junior high football, that would be when my uh, football coach would stand on the sidelines and smoke a cigarette.
2: Yeah, exactly. You're right. That's exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like it wasn't a well thought. So people go back and like, man, I gotta think about what I did in junior high. Like "Eh, it probably wasn't the warm up you should be doing. You know, like (laughs) that wasn't a thought out warm up. That wasn't a thought out warm up. That was just time to make you sweat, uh, to make it feel like you were, you know, doing something hard. And like you said, for the coach to smoke a cigarette. Yeah, that was his warm up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so that was his wanna,
0: meditation.
2: Wanna, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Exactly. So we want to keep it simple. Like I, I don't need, so if, if i on tour, like I've got an athlete showing up and they're about to tee off in like 30 minutes to an hour. The last thing I need to do is teach them some super complex movement that, you know, is going to take them 15 to 20 minutes to learn and they've got to really think hard about it and get the nuances of the technique. Like that's not what warm-ups are for. Warm-ups before we throw. Warm-ups before we play. Keep it simple, right? Uh, complexity for complexity's sake is not beneficial. It's just complexity. And so keep it simple. Are we moving? Uh, are we getting blood flow? Are we warming things up the tissues? Are we kind of you know stimulating the nervous system to get everything firing? Yes, like there's there's more to a warm up, you know, benefits of a warm up than that, but we'll, you know, the, the people can Google those lists, you know, there's lots of stuff to warming up, lots of benefits. So keeping it simple, that's one. Uh, keeping it foundational, what are the things that we need as disc golf athletes? We need upper back mobility. We need to be able to rotate through our thoracic spine, we need to, be able to rotate through our hips. We need to be able to get some express some power from our lower body. We need to have good range of motion in our shoulders, kind of just get the shoulder joints moving. So if you look at the warm up I do, um, and it's the same warm up on my that I have on a website, like it's it's attacking or it's attacking is not the right word. It's it's working the the the, the foundational patterns. That we need we need mobility we need dynamic mobility and we need stability for our joints and then all the other good stuff happens the warming up the tissues and the blood flow and all that stuff um and then routine i don't want my athletes to show up and they're like gosh i can't go over and see Seth because he's going to teach me like 15 new things every (laughs) single tournament you know like they don't got time for that all that complex stuff
1: all the complex stuff does wonders for your <laughs> ego, but maybe not practical for your, uh, physicality.
2: Exactly. Right. Like the show, like I said earlier, the show is not in the gym. The show is not over at the, the performance zone at, on tour. The show is on the course. Right. Yep. And so I want them to be able to walk over and they can do the same thing. And when I'm not there, if I'm off and I've, I've been called away to do something else or, you know, they're out on doing their field work. They can do the same thing that they did before because the brain, when it comes to lifting, yeah, you have to, you know, kind of go with some different principles of periodization. But when it comes to just warming up, you know, you're, you do an upper back rotation. You do some hip circles, some leg swings and stuff. Your, your body's not like, well, you know, you've done that before. Like, I'm not going to Make that effective for you. Like it's dude, that's not the goal. We don't need linear periodization, you know, for for uh, you know, just progressively up for a warm up. So I want a routine. I want the players to just be able to just mindlessly go through it, get all the good stuff that happens with it, and then go do what they're getting paid to do. You know, and so same with the thing with the amateurs, like we want it to we want to just say we, you know, we've been putting out the same thing. We don't really change it. And people are like, man, it's the same warm up. like, does it need to change? Like, you know, like, <laughs> the, is there, like, you know, the brain's not like, man, I've been waiting for a warmup forever for this thing. So, you know, yeah, I'm going to make you be a less, you know, optimized athlete because you did the same halos, you know, uh, <laughs> you did the same hip circles as you did, you know, the last three weeks. So, so the you know it, 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 when we think about it like that, the warm up then just doesn't seem as it's not a non-starter for us, you know, because we're not like, man, I need to think of new things all the time, or I need to, you know, impress my friends with what I'm about to do, you know, with, the, with this disc or this you know mini, this band. So um, so that's that, that's kind of you know where how I think about the warm up um, is is kind of those principles. And it doesn't need to be long. And one thing I'll see is I'll have like players, I've had players come over that they played soccer or they played ultimate or something. And they're like they see my warm-up and they do it. And they're like, Yeah, that was good. But like, you know, where's the high knees and the A skips and the, you know, ladder drills and stuff. And I'm like, do you really want your, you know, be counting your heartbeat in your head before you go do a few more practice putts and head over to hole one? You know, like, we don't need that. This is not a soccer match, you know? Like, so I've had players that have tried it. They're like, yeah, I'm going to do my warm-up as well that I used to do back in, you know, back in soccer. And then they do it, and then they're like, man, that was just way too intense for what I needed to do for disc golf. I was breathing, you know, 20 repetitions a minute, you know, and that's way too high for what you should be doing when you're about to tee off at hole one or putt at the basket, you know? And so we don't need to keep it super intense. We don't need to jump around and stuff. That's just not our sport. Um,
0: That's something I've noticed with myself just in playing in general. Like there's one course we play is uh, NAD in Bremerton. And there's this hill between hole eight and nine that I always know, like I can tell by my heart rate that I need to just take a few breaths and let it uh, come down before I even throw because if my heart rate's mm-hmm. too high, I tend to, you know, overthrow or throw the wrong way. And so I've, I've learned that about myself, too.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, I don't want any player to sit there and be like, hey, why'd you miss that putt on hole one? It's like, what were you thinking about? Like, well, I was counting my respiratory rate and my <laughs> heartbeats yeah. in my head. You know, I could hear them pounding in my head. Because you had me do jumping jacks and high knees and a skips before you had me tee off. Was, you know, and,
1: it and, was funny. We were at uh, Ladies of the Lake with Jenny here, and she was on fire with her putting game this one day. And one of our friends came over who was kind of struggling with her putting, and she's like, "So, how do you have her working on her putting? Like, she's gotten really good all of a sudden." And I looked over and I said, "Well, every time she misses a putt, I make her get down and do push-ups." is so not true <laughs> <laughs> definitely not true but
2: <laughs> uh, there you go yeah, right
1: <laughs> so um earlier you made mention of having technique solutions to movement problems and uh the thing that bounced into my head instantly was talking about compensated muscle movements and the push and pull of your musculature on your skeletal system. Um, and just, uh, I have a little bit of a background in personal training, so I know a little bit about this stuff. I'm by no means an expert, but I did actually go through with passing the ACE test. So, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I know a little bit about it, but you're well and above like my knowledge.
2: Yeah. So, um, so talking about movement compensation, you know, the body is going to always choose the path of least resistance uh, in most cases. And it's, it's going to allow us to keep doing what we need to do to function as humans. Um, you know, cause we are, we're great compensators. You know, if I, you know, am walking through the woods and I sprain my ankle and I'm like, Oh, and I can barely walk on it. Man, I don't know if I'm gonna make it back to camp all of a sudden a bear pops out of the woods, my, you know, my brain's like, do you even have an ankle? You know, I'm running. Right? <laughs> it's fractured. Right. So it's going to compensate. It's going to do everything it needs to do to keep me uh survival mode. Right. So our body will compensate and all of us have compensations. We just, we do less human stuff than we used to, you know, um, uh, our, our ancestors, I uh, would never imagine moving as little and you know having as little variety in movements and you know solving movement p- puzzles with our you know with our patterns than we do now so we we have movement dysfunction and movement compensations uh we have, we accomplish the same goal just not the way that's probably optimal and so it provide it puts more stress in places that probably aren't designed to handle those kind of stresses and so things, a lot of things that are a lot of a lot of movement compensation results in chronic over in certain things, you know, uh, like I said, stress points are getting stressed, that shouldn't be stress points because of the compensations. And then we get injuries, you know, and usually, they're chronic injuries that are below the level of our, you know, uh, awareness, at the time, our conscious awareness, and then they become acute. Uh, because you know for some reason our brain decided to tap into what was going on in that joint or that tendon or whatever or we did something in the moment that all of a sudden it was like nope okay you're done like i I chronically compensated long enough now you are officially injured uh, or you at least know you're injured right um so we want to try to we want to try to correct these movement compensations as much as we can and so the first step is knowing that the body compensates and so i'm glad you brought up we're talking about it right um if if i have a lot of people just want to work on an engine they want to build an engine um be a bigger better performer by building an engine so they you know if i'm sitting there and i'm working with an athlete and we're like all right we're going to do this drill on the ground that's going to you know, work on a little hip stability, get the stabilizer muscles around the hip firing. Now they've worked with me long enough or they hear me, you know, my little education kind of talks about certain topics like this with them, that they're not going to brush it off. But a lot of people say the look online and they'll be like, where's the heavy deadlifts? Why are you doing this half kneeling drill for hip stability? Well, if you have a, if you have a race car and the, and you know, you go to get in your race car and I say, you know, Brandon or Jenny, I want you to get in this race car. and I want you to drive around the track as fast as you can. And um, the engine's great. It's got a high horsepower engine. You're gonna just crush it. You're gonna go so fast, you can't even believe it. And you're like, okay, you're like, let's do this, let's go. And then right before you take off, I'm like, oh, just so you know, I think the steering linkage might be a little loose. The front left tire's definitely down a few PSI and I think the brakes haven't been checked in a while. Go, right? You're gonna be Jenny, like, Jenny's had that should... car. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I've had that so, car. <laughs> yeah, right, so you're like, I, I don't know about this anymore. So not only are you going to uh, not be able to optimize and maximize your performance, right? Because now you're thinking about all these little things that might be wrong, and it, the engine's fine, right? But it's these little things. It's these little things that impact performance. Now, if you're driving and the front left tire is a little more deflated uh, and there's other small little things that have happened on the car, not only are you not going to feel as confident, so our brain does the same thing. It doesn't feel as confident um, because it detects those movement imbalances, um, lack of stability and joint or mobility issues or something. But also you're gonna find more wear and tear in certain areas. And so while we can build the engine, we gotta really make sure that all the other small stuff, we gotta make sure the tires are good to go. We gotta make sure the brakes are good to go. We gotta make sure the bearings are good. Like those things, because those are the things that are really gonna put us out of the race is those little movement conversations. And so that's really what I've always been focused on in disc golf is helping people fix those things. It's like, okay, let's work on your, the people are like, I want to throw farther. Okay, let's check your upper back mobility, your hip mobility, your hip stability, your ankle mobility, things like that. Yeah, but I want to throw farther. Okay, I got it. Cool. Let's check your upper back mobility. Let's check your hip mobility. Let's check your hip stability. Like, Because if we are compensating through those areas, we're not going to be able to tap into the performance that, that we have. Like we have amazing amounts of strength and power and untapped potential, right? We've all heard the stories about the, you know, little lady that goes and picks the car up off her, you know, grandkid. And like those things have happened, you know, they've tapping the things they never knew they had. So we all have an untapped potential, but if the brain senses these movement compensations and all these other energy leaks and stuff like that, it's not going to allow us to tap into uh, the, the, the power and performance potential already inside of us.
1: Now, that's that's really interesting with the uh, the compensated muscle movements and stuff. You know, I see a lot of the people that I play, that we play with on a regular basis, and we're kind of getting up into the older divisions, and, you know, they are limping or, you know, got their uh, bent over, the percussion guns or whatnot out, and, you know, complain about this injury or that injury, and it's like, well, have you seen your form? have you have you watched how you move and how you throw and i'm not throwing anybody under the bus but it's like when you have this baseline knowledge of kinesiology you kind of understand why things are happening the way they're happening and why they're having the ailments they're they're having
2: mhm yeah absolutely and you know the answer to a lot of these and I, I don't know if i can really say that it's the answer um but a a path to a potential solution uh let's go with that for a lot of these is doing stuff like getting the you know working on those conversations so someone will send me a video and they'll you know i'll be like hey what do you think of my technique on this like you know i'm trying to get more distance and you know what what do you see what drill should i do And i'm like well i see that your you know your plant leg hip looks a little unstable and like yeah, but like, how do I get more distance? Like, Let's work on your plant leg hip because that's an energy leak right there. Like the brain's thinking like, whoa, I I don't feel that hip. I don't feel the stability and control in that hip joint that I I need. And so I'm going to, you're not going to be able to access that power and potential but it's probably gonna change your technique. So, you know, working on tying up the four knots with two shoulders and hips, and then, you know, getting the core engaged and stuff can go a long way for that but that's that thing with the technique is a challenge that we have there's a couple challenges that we have in disc golf one is i've been saying this since probably day one that's the best thing about disc golf is we can play every day and the worst thing about disc golf is we can play every day right <laughs> and um <laughs> because you know like how many other sports can they just go and for free play it and just put it at a high volume high stress you know high high loading, high everything on our bodies, right? And we can go, well, a 45-year-old amateur is not going to throw as hard as Simon Like, But Simon Lezotte throwing at 100% power and an amateur throwing at 100% power, it's still 100% power on their frame, right? They're still putting all that they have into it. Um, He can just handle 100% power, even though he doesn't throw 100% power. He can handle that more than somebody that that doesn't, uh, have the, you know, um, kind of the capacity and the framework and everything that Simon or Eagle or anyone else does. And And so finding our ways, go ahead, Jenny. I was just going
0: to say that that's something. So since we started actually focusing on doing exercises specifically for improving our disc golf game, that's something that I've had happen is I've found, I don't have to try as hard to throw further than I did before. So mm-hmm. yeah. being able to have that yeah. strength, it, it makes a huge difference and you don't have to try as hard.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we, you, you can, not only do you have to not try as hard, but you're, it's not even, tr- it's trying not trying as hard and just internally, the things that we don't even think about, like we're, we've created, you've created a buffer zone between you and injury and, you know, and move yourself closer to optimizing that performance. So the body just is putting less stress, even though it's still a lot of stress on, on things, on joints and tendons and all that, um, it's putting less stress so you can handle more and the body is going to reward you, you know? And one other thing that is a challenge about our sport is we can get, we can get relatively good, relatively, uh, underline bold, uh, relatively good um, pretty quickly. Um, you know, and, and then do it, uh, high volume, high intensity, high loads, all that. Right. Um, and about our sport, like when I look at, uh, like coaching on the technique side, um, skills and stuff, one thing that I see, one of the things I see is challenging is, um, you know, we're using models of technique and, and, um, attainment performance results uh that really you don't see a lot in other other sports for amateurs right so like if i picked up a baseball and started throwing with my kids and they're like dad you're good at throwing a baseball i'm not jumping on the internet and being like how do i throw 100 miles an hour like a major league closer," right like that's just not gonna happen like it's gonna their technique everything their results are different than what I can or should even attempt to attain in the moment where I'm at, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the stuff that we see is based off of like, you know, let's look at Eagle McMahon and let's look at what his form is. And then I just started disc golf six months ago. And so I'm gonna work really hard to look like Eagle McMahon, you know, when I throw. Eagle McMahon's been doing it for a long time. And there's a lot of changes and lever arms and all sorts of stuff that's happened for him to get to where he's at. A lot of reps, a lot of, you know, uh, that, that path, that journey. And we're trying to get to that point, like in a incredible speed. Um, so we're at point A, Eagles, I'm at point A, Eagles at point Z, I'm just scouring the internet to try to how to get to point Z, you know, before my next tournament in six weeks, you know, where I should be working on getting to point B and then point C. And then, you know, you just kind of arrive at point Z at some point if you do.
1: Yeah. And well, and one, one great thing about disc golf is that there's so much open source training out there and information on YouTube and the internet and articles and all sorts of things. I would say almost more so than any other sport, but it's kind of like you said, it's the double edged sword. There's so much, information out there about disc golf and it seems like everybody and their brother are, you know, have the, you know, add 30 feet to your shot, you know, if they are how to putt or whatever. And, you know, there's, so there's a lot of not necessarily, I wouldn't call it like misinformation out there cause I don't think they're doing it intentionally, but people that are just putting out information say, Hey, you know, try this, see if it works.
2: Yeah. And like you said, it's not it, it's good intentioned information. And so, you know, um, but again, I go to that point of like, you know, it, it, in baseball or in hockey or in any other sport, when you're working with your coach in high school or junior high or anything, they're not like in, in the back of their head. They're, you know, based off their experience of when they played in the NHL or they played in college or whatever, but they're working with you on who you are now, you know, uh, your body, your limitations, your skill level, the way you think about, you know, uh, being on the ice and all that. And they're not trying to model you against the top model, you know, Uh, and that's the, that is a challenge in our sport is like on the skill level is we're looking at what the best players in the world are doing and then we're trying to go out there and add 30 feet by doing that and um i told i was talking with uh um brian earhart about this recently where we were just talking about brian's a great coach and uh, you know amazing uh in 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 history of the game and or is this he's a great orator about the game and philosopher about the game and all that we were just talking about just like the youth and what is going to be the explosion of the youth for our sport? And I said, you know, one of my things that I see as a challenge for our sport um, that I want to make sure doesn't happen is that like a major, a, a little league baseball coach is not working with a 12 year old on trying to get that 12 year old the mechanics of a major league closer or a major league starter, right. Starting pitcher They're they're trying to work with them on where they are at in the developmental sequence of life for a twelve-year-old body and what they can do and not do and stuff. But you know, we're trying to we're trying to push limits um, that you know we're you know that that we need to kind of make sure that we're doing it you know in a safe and sound way. And one to hit on one thing you said about gain, uh, you know, gain thirty yards or gain thirty feet, right? I had an athlete one time, and he, um, younger athlete, he worked, he plays on the tour, and this couple of years ago, and he sent me a video of his form, and he's like, he's like, what? I need to, I want to earn. He's like, I want to hit 500 feet. Like, what do I have to do right now to hit 500 feet? I said, well, there's a couple of things. One, you can just play around with the, you know, different disc weights and stabilities and stuff, and you know that, uh, and angles to try to hit 500 feet. I'm like, but do you really want to hit 500 feet or do you want to earn 500 feet? Because hitting 500 feet is like something you could potentially do every now and then if the wind is right and the stability is, you know, in your favor and stuff. But if you earn 500 feet through training, through all the other stuff, you're you're going to have that 500 feet whenever you want it versus like just something that you hope happens when the stars align at the tournament. And so, you know, it's kind of
1: the difference between owning something and borrowing something, you know. If you if you, yes. you you get the wind right and whatever, well, you're you know you're borrowing that 500 foot shot. But like you said, yep. if you go out there and you put in the work, you put in the time, put in the reps to really dial that in, you own that, and you you don't ever have to give it away if you don't want to.
2: Exactly, exactly. So you know, we want to earn that distance, and sometimes just a. Uh, you know, a quick trick over, over a, you know, a, a YouTube video. And like I said, it's not, like you said, it's all good intentioned. And so it's not putting anyone down. It's just, you know, where we're at in the sport, it's like, everyone's looking for the quick, the quick fix, the quick thing to this, the quick thing to that. And so if we think about earning it more and gaining the experience along the way, we like you said, we're going to own it and not borrow it for sure.
1: Yeah. It's like you said earlier in the podcast, it's like everybody wants to be the next Paul Macbeth, but, then everybody wants to be the next Paul (laughs) McBeth.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like they, they want to do what Paul, you know, what Paul does, you know, hold trophies up in the air, but you know, not, you know, put the intentional practice and the focus and the, you know, training his body and the mental work and everything he's done, you know, I just want the the trophy, you know, and understandably, like that's what people want in sports. You know, they want to, they want to see that shining moment at the end, but there's a path to get there. You know, and it, you choose your path, you know, and one path is owning it and, you know, having success for a long time or, you know, for a, for a certain number of years before, you know, you move on to something else or injury takes you out or something. But, you know, there's others that have sometimes a shorter path and it may be a shorter path to success, but it may be also a shorter path to injury.
1: Yeah. Uh, we've said it before on the podcast. There's a great quote out there by, uh, I believe it was Michelangelo when he was doing the Sistine Chapel and he said, if you knew what it take, if you knew what it took to become a master, you would hardly think it was wonderful at all.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So true. Yeah. So true. I, I, I can definitely agree with that quote.
1: So earlier you talked about, uh, the compensated most movements and you're talking about power leaks and difference, uh differences in form. And I, I have a working theory that I'm kind of developing that what would, I wouldn't mind bouncing off you is when we talk about our mm-hmm. ar- arm speed in the X step and how those two things affect each other um, in watching the X step, I've kind of developed this theory that it's more about power conservation rather than power generation. Because we have this gal that we play with all the time uh, at tournaments. Her name is Danielle, and she's a very small individual, um, and I'm a big dude. I'm like 250 pounds, pretty muscular, and she can outdrive me. And I'm scratching my head, like, "Well, what's going on? I know that you know my fly my fly weight is way higher than hers is. What's happening?
2: Yeah, um, you know, you got there's. I mean, you, you do have power conservation for sure you have, you have to have power generation. Um, you know I, I know I saw a video recently where um, a skills coach said like you know you don't really need to worry about generating power I think he was kind of saying know uh, pushing off the back leg or anything And I would say that you know you look at baseball you look at other sports they they would have a, something you know different to say about that like you know we need to be able to create power. We need to be able to have it go through what we call the kinetic chain from the lower body through the, you know, from the lower body through a stiff and stable core up into the upper body and out into the disc. Right. And so we need to generate power. We need to conserve power as well. We don't want the energy leaks. Um, so I don't know what her background history is, you know, uh, was she an athlete before in another sport, you know,
1: Oh, she, she's FPO. She plays, <laughs> she, uh, did the cascade challenge out here in Shelton when you guys were here.
2: So besides, besides disc golf, do you know, if she did any other sort of other athletic,
0: I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. I want to say, I don't think she was, but who knows? Uh, Yeah. We only met her through disc golf. So we only know her as disc golf.
2: (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah. So like, you know, Emerson Keith, like he's a lot of power in a smaller package and, and Emerson is, can create so much power, but he was a high level hockey player. You know, he went through the developmental sequencing of being on the ice and stability and, you know, and control and body awareness and all that. And so that, you know, he can outdrive someone who is taller and bigger and, you know, got more punch, you know, but didn't have all that control and that movement capacity that that was built up through other other sports and other methods uh, before. But also I mean, there, there is, while we do look, say, by looking on tour, and we see that people with long lever arms uh, and in tall frames are definitely throwing hard, they're not, they're not like out and driving, you know, smaller frames uh, by that much, and sometimes not at all. Um, so one thing I would say is, uh, like, my mentor that I referred to earlier, um, his name is Dan John, he he would hear the joke where he's like, you know, how do you say hello to a basketball, you know, an NBA player, you know, you, you look up and you reach up and shake your hand and shake their hand, you know, say, how do you say hello to a, I know, an Olympic and weightlifter, you know, you look down and shake their hand, you know, like they're, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there's, there's definitely something to say about smaller frames are able just to do lever arms and, you know, and, uh, they're just, just be able to create more compactness and to, to everything they're doing that they can generate a lot of power and they don't have as much, they don't have to have it go through as long of a, of a lever arm or the body to, to be able to transfer that force. Right. Trying to, you don't really see a lot of like six foot four, you know, ice skaters that are doing the, you know, uh, all the pirouettes, whatever they do in ice skating, you know, Oh, you're talking about figure skating. There you go. (laughs) Thank you. you. Figure skating. That's what it's kind of, yeah. It wasn't coming to me. Right. Like, you know, you do see some of them, you don't see a lot of them. And I'm just saying that because, you know, when you're longer, uh, it's a lot harder to create stability for the joints to create stability. And there's a lot more chance for, you know, energy dispersion before it gets to the disc. Yeah. So, while I agree with you uh, that, you know, there's definitely energy conversation conservation. I think we definitely have to create power for sure. And that's something that we just, again, going back to, you know, our years, like a baseball player, like you don't ever talk to anyone in the Major League Baseball. And you're like, hey, when did you start playing baseball? And they're like, oh, really? Like freshman year of college, I kind of just fell into it. You know, like they've been training and doing power development and coaching and being able to to learn how to transfer energy from their lower body into a baseball since they were little kids. And, you know, we don't have as much of that yet in our sport. We will. And so I think that we'll see that in the future where, you know, you got people coming up that have had a lot of that coaching and training and stuff um, that know how to generate power from the lower body. I just don't think we have as many People that have that experience yet to really know.
1: Okay, for my for my own curiosity here, kind of off topic. What is with Mm -hmm. tennis players? They they come in in these in they just can chuck it a mile, and it's it's something. Mm -hmm. I've run into a ton of tennis players that it's just like, oh, I started playing like a month ago, and I'm already playing MA one, and it's like, and you can throw 500 feet. What's going on here?
2: Yeah, well, that, you know, uh, I'm only going to assume that those tennis players did not start playing tennis like recreationally a year before they started playing (laughs) disc golf, right? So I'm going to only assume that they probably like a lot of really good tennis players started in their youth. And so their bodies, their brains were learning how to make that connection of plant, brace, transfer energy, release, right? And so they so a disc golf like putting a disc in their hand like it's like learning like oh this isn't a racket this is a disc but meant like behind like underneath the skin everything everything has is been primed over many 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 years of you know here's what we want to accomplish here's the you know run run the motor program you know flip the switch push the button boom, plant, brace the hip, generate, you know, transfer that power through up into the disc, boom, everyone, you know, high fives like that. That is like, that's probably, that's why tennis and other rotational sports like that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you see people that have success that that do that.
0: I have a lot of uh, female friends that I've made that they used to play softball. And that seems to transition mm-hmm. well to disc golf too.
2: Yep, exactly.
1: All right. So, um, what kind of started this conversation of doing the nutrition and exercise for the last two episodes is you know what we're doing to get ready for next season in our off season. So, could you talk to a little bit about different habits and routines off season versus on season?
2: Yeah, for sure. So off season is the time, definitely to um, you know start to work on the other sides of disc golf performance. And so with one side of disc golf performance is you know throwing for you know putting for birdies, the other side is all this off course stuff. And so it's a really good time to find ways to make improvements. And I say that, I say that way to find ways to make improvements is because going back to what we were talking about earlier is a lot of people don't start with off season anything because they think that they've got to do it all. Right. And so like, well, gosh, off season training is me going and, you know, training an hour and a half or an hour. Three to four times a week. I don't even do it for five minutes right now. But now I've got to find time in my busy schedule with my kids or my work or whatever to go do some sort of off-season training. Like no, you know, start with five minutes. Start with 20 minutes. Start with whatever is realistically, you know, doable for you. Um, But do something. And so take that time to work on some some mobility, work on some stability for your joints, things like that. Um, So there's the physical side. Uh, then there's the nutritional side, you know, how am I going to, you know, make us 10, 10% improvement in my nutrition right now? You know, um, I don't need to make a hundred percent nutrition, uh, change if that's not going to be realistically doable for me, but how can I do 10%? And then when that becomes easy, I do, you know, 10% more. Um, but that's where the off season is really good time to do that. Um, in season definitely is more challenging because you're stacking up a bunch of stacking up a bunch of reps. And so in season for my athletes is more about recovery and restoration and trying to, you know, make sure you can get to the next one. Um, is, is that, that's the focus there. It's kind of taking what we did in the off season and now let's just manage and make it work and get you through the, through the, through the whole year. Um, what kind of areas say for off season training, do you have, you know, should I explore in my topics in my conversation?
1: You started to get into talking about the recovery and the active rest during the season. How how important and how can we incorporate the recovery and the octave the active rest?
2: Yeah, for sure. So um, you know, and and starting to build some of the some of the active some of the recovery um you know, now during the off season makes it easier to kind of just flow into it during the season. So, uh, a couple things with, with recovery, um, is I get a lot of, have a lot of conversations with people and they're like, you know, Hey, you know, I, I really want to, you know, get more recovery and, and restoration for, I guess they don't use that word. I'll use it when I talk to them, but, uh, they'll be like, I want to recover better. Uh, for for my rounds and stuff, and they're like, you know, should I do cryotherapy? Should I do red light therapy? Should I do IV treatments? Like, you know, um, all these different things. And I'm like, well, you know, let's start with, you know, how much sleep do you think you average on a night? And you know, like, well, you know, especially on tour, you got people like, oh, I'm on Instagram till you know, late at night, and so I'm not really getting a lot of sleep, or I'm doing something, I'm out with people. I'm like, well, let's start there. Let's start with getting good quality sleep and, and try to keep it as regular as possible. Um, so that's what I tell everyone at I first, like if your body, you know, we can go for all the, all the, uh, you know, kind of trendy things out there for recovery. Um, but if we're not doing the foundational stuff, like making sure we're hydrated, making sure we're, you know, trying to improve our sleep hygiene, making sure that, you know, we're trying to, get some, you know, good nutrients in our body, kind of everything else is kind of, you know, isn't going to probably have as good effects as possible. It's like my Dan John, my mentor, again used to say, you know, maybe like someone walks in and he's, you know, talks to his doctor he's, you know, smoking a cigarette and got a, you know, bottle of whiskey in his hand. He says, doctor, do you try to improve my health? Do you think I should put some chia seeds on my oatmeal? And, you know, he's like, well, let's, <laughs> let's first, let's let's first maybe talk about you know getting the cigarette and whiskey out of the hand you know at the doctor's office like let's you know let's go for the big rocks first and make sure that we're doing that and then all that other stuff can kind of you know explore later so sleep are you getting the sleep are you getting the nutrition are you getting the hydration and then outside of that you know foam roll soft, some soft tissue work kind of just you know that's it, It just feels good for the body to do some soft tissue work, roll around on a foam roll, roll around on a lacrosse ball, things like that. Find some tender spots and kind of, you know, do some
0: little release
2: or whatever we you know want to call it now on the movement, you know, kind of sphere on whatever it's doing to the muscle. It just feels good and people will loosen up some tension because of it. Um, And then just trying to a big thing is trying to think about your pitch count your throw count. I've been talking to my players about this since the very beginning is I use baseball analogies so much. Um, I'm, I've, I'm using more hockey analogies now because I know you played some hockey, uh, <laughs> but, I, but I'm usually just like all baseball analogies. So this is the most hockey analogies I've pulled out of the, <laughs> out, of the out of the toolkit. Well, we appreciate that. And, uh, that. Yeah. 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 Go, so, go um,
1: wild by the way.
2: Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Um, so the pitch count, like the, 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 going back to that quote of the, the, the best thing about disc golf is you can play every day and the worst thing about disc golf is you can play every day. We're throwing so much. Um, we're throwing uh, – putting so much volume on our, on our body. And so the first thing I tell a lot of people when they want to improve their recovery, I'm like, let's, let's talk about how many, how many throws you're doing a week. And how can we, you know, lessen that a little bit? And now I know like at an amateur level, you know, people will be like, well, I don't do any field work. I'm just going out and throwing, I'm playing rounds with friends. And that's, that's one of the most amazing things about this sport, but it's also a challenge about our sport because we're putting more volume than a pitcher would ever thinking about putting on in a, you know, in a a month, we're putting that volume on in a week. As a, you know, we're throwing that, we're throwing. And doesn't matter if we're throwing a disc or we're throwing a baseball. Uh, we're putting volume on the elbow, the shoulder, the, the body, right? And so cutting down some of those reps um, can be beneficial. And that will help kind of in that restoration recovery period, because we don't have to try to recover from such a deficit every time. Um, I could talk a lot about a lot of those things. Anything you want me to kind of hit on more?
1: Well, um, I want to throw one out there for our friend Kayla. She asked us at a tournament once uh, before tournaments. She, I think everybody's dealt with this to some extent that how do you, how do you deal with getting sufficient sleep the night before a tournament? Because, you know, we are living in the age of anxiety and you know trauma reinforcement and, and all sorts of mental health issues and you know going into a tournament is stressful um even at an amateur mm-hmm. level so how so what are some tricks and tips that you have for getting sufficient rest uh the day or night before a tournament
2: yeah that's a great question and i'm glad you you know brought up all that like i'm I've been very open, vocal, people can find podcasts online with me talking, not on disc golf podcasts, but other podcasts about these topics of mental health, because, you know, from military, from ambulance, from all that, I got PTSD. And, um, you know, and that PTSD at one point turned in out out of the blue into, you know, panic attacks and anxiety and all that. And fortunately, I've, you know, through a lot of mental health and a lot of coaching, a lot of therapy and all that, I'm. You know, that a lot of that, most all that is, you know, was a stage in my life that isn't that I'm not in right now, but I had to put in the work and I had to, um, you know, make, I couldn't, if I, if, if let's say I, I knew something was going to be super stressful, um, I needed to kind of do the work in the days and the weeks leading up to that um, to help me prepare. So I knew it was coming. Right. So, um, if we're, we're, we're more confident and, and prepared to move into something, um, even though it can be, everything's going to be stressful like that, like a tournament, no matter what, it's going to be stressful. But if I have a, if I've worked to develop a routine, um, before the night, before my tournament, then I can just call on that routine, right? And they'll talk about that in mental health and stuff. It's like, you know, if, if someone's experiencing anxiety, that practice that you've done of your breath work and this and that beforehand, you can tap into that more readily than if you've never done it before, you only pull it out of the bag when you need it. You know, so so saying, hey, I, you know, I know I need to improve my sleep. And so I'm actually going to start because I don't want sleep challenges to to affect me as much uh, the, the day before or the day of the tournament. And so backing it up a week, two weeks, whatever, or just, you know, in general, I'm trying to improve my sleep. And then the three days before or whatever, it works for each person. You know, I start to reduce some social media. You know, I'm starting to... You know, do some more meditation. I'm starting to focus more on okay. You know, I the week, the week that this thing's going on, I'm going to intentionally back off on how much social media media usage I'm doing in the evenings. I'm going to maybe not watch anything that could be distressing and affect my sleep. I'm going to do some meditation tonight. Listen to some positive affirmations on a YouTube, you know, video. I'm going to. You know, make sure that I, I'm hydrating myself well. So it's usually not the night before thing. It's a, this is what I'm working on. And then it just, I'm continuing to do that So the night before.
0: Seth, I'm really starting to notice a trend on a lot of the advice that you're giving that we just have to start doing it at some point intentionally and give it the time that it needs in order for it to grow into that habit, into that routine, and then we will see the increased benefits from that little bitty step of starting.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that, that, that's, that's the key right there. And, and going back and adding to that, like you said, start, we just need to start doing it. And that's why I hammer so much kind of focus so much on that. Even if it's a little bit, Because most people don't start because they think I got to do it all. Like, oh, I got to improve my sleep. So that means I got to go cold turkey on all social media. I got to, you know, get in bed at this time, at this. Like, but I got kids that I got to, you know, we got to do stuff for an evening. So how do I change those schedules? Like, so it's it's little things. You don't need to do it all right away. You just start and then just build that so it's not a – I'm just trying to pull something out right now that I've never practiced or even thought about. And I want it to, I want to see changes now. I want to see benefits now. It's like, no, it's, you know, it, it comes from doing stuff before. There's a really good book. Um, uh, it's a very thin book. It's an easy read. It's uh, I like thin books. Now I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. And I mean now, and it's also got a name. I can't remember. No, uh, <laughs> it, it's uh it's uh, it, it, I'm pretty sure, pretty confident. It's carry water, chop wood, or or chop wood, oh, that, carry water. That
1: like, I think I've heard of that something like that.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's it's basically like the guy wants to go and you know do this big thing in life, and he goes and meets with the master. and The master has him start just chop wood and carry water. And he's like, well, you know, it's the whole like you know uh, um, wax like, on, wax know? off. It's like, Well, on how off, right? It's like those little things that we started just doing now, they have benefits that we don't even know. Like it just seems so simple now that's like, how could it even come close to working? Because it's just so simple, but it's it's making a change whether we know it or not. And then now it builds up and now we can do things later on that we never thought we could do now.
1: For sure. All right, Seth, well, uh we're going to go ahead and ask you some wrap up questions here. Um we do yep. definitely appreciate all of your wisdom and time and expertise, uh, you know, sharing all this knowledge with us. It is phenomenal. Like and it's Absolutely. Of, of great value to our listeners as as well. Um so Seth, what's your favorite disc?
2: Yes. Great question. Um, (laughs) I am just now, uh, okay. So I'll say my favorite disc and then I'll just, just kind of touch on something. A funny thing about my choosing my favorite disc and why it's so hard is, uh, my favorite disc right now is the hex, um, by Good choice. I'm loving it. Yes, I love it. I just love the hand fill. I started with kind of like the Enact Truth back in the day, went to like verdict and you know, Buzz and all that, and that. They're all great, but the hex is just feeling so good. I I'm very com- I feel very confident and comfortable when I throw it. Now why I kinda of joke about it is, you know, one of the best things about working in disc golf is you're around disc golf all the time and one of the most challenging things is you never get to play disc golf. Um, <laughs> uh, because you're working in disc golf all the time. And so, well, and you have to
1: survive uh, Bill Randolph's uh, dad jokes.
2: Uh, there you go. Yeah, good old Bill. Exactly. Uh, you know, one of the funniest things about Bill when he says uh, when he when he says goodbye to people, sometimes he'll be like, "All right, hey, see you later. Drive fast and take chances." Um, <laughs> and so, it kind of, <laughs> I've said that before too to people be to, because it just it throws people off, you know. Drive fast, take chances. Like what? Are you, you're supposed to tell me to drive safe and drive home alive. You know? Oh, man. but um, Bill's a great guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Bill's great. Uh, so um, the the funny thing is, like choosing a disc is like I'm just now kind of starting. Now I'm settled down after the season and starting to play more because I really didn't get to play much and I don't get to play as much as I want to because I'm always just working at the disc golf course or around disc golf. Um, and then another thing is when you're on tour full-time, I'm there for literally every single special limited edition drop and every single type of plastic, uh, is always out at the courses or this. So I'm, you know, I'm like, got to bring a second suitcase just to fill it up with discs that I get from (laughs) each event, you know? And so I have so many different types that it's like, you know, I'm looking at, I'm like, man, what am I going to, I got to rebuild my bag. like. I've got a lot of options, like (laughs) all different types. And so I'm kind of going through what I want to my bag look like now. And the hex is definitely, I've got like three of those in there.
1: Are you partial to any brand or anything?
2: I'm not, I'm not. I I like, I like, you know, them all. There's some that I just have more of than others, but um, no, I'm not. All right.
0: All
1: right. Jenny, did you have something?
0: Oh, I was going to say that um, I have uh, recently put the um, sister disc, the paradox back in my bag and we're both fans of throwing mm. the paradox.
2: Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I threw that like four times yesterday out of, the, out of course here. I love that. That's a, such a great option.
1: <laughs> Rollers.
2: <laughs> <For> yeah, <days. laughs> yeah it, exactly. Right. And I don't, uh, you know, um, I, I'm pretty good at taking what should be like a 30 second answer and turning it into about 30 minutes. So, you know, please excuse me. uh... (laughs) No, no,
1: You're doing fine. You're doing fine. So, (laughs) yeah,
2: I don't, I don't, I don't really throw a lot of forehand unless I'm training for it, unless I'm doing, um, you know, a lot of forehand specific work, uh, you know, and really, increasing the the buffer zone between, you know, the threshold of what my tendons and my elbow and all that can handle. So if I'm not doing a lot of forehand work, intentional work uh, outside of throwing forehand, then I don't really throw forehand. So I haven't been playing a lot of disc golf recently um, because of tour life. And so the paradox is amazing for me when I'm not having any forehand and I know I can – Trust. I I will throw like a a little approach shot forehand with like a Berg or, you know, something, but I won't really push it. And so the the paradox is one of those discs where I know that, you know, I can get those anti lines whenever I feel like them.
0: Yeah, I'm still learning forehand from my 12 year old son. And he's always sitting there like we were um, out to eat one night and a baseball game was on. He's like, Mom you got to watch how he's throwing. That's how you got to throw your disc. And so he's still trying to get me to understand it. And it's just not connecting.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and you know, like I've talked to players from the past that, you know, they were just like, we didn't have the forehand option and we were just fine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you can see players on tour, like, you know, James, um, that that's just fine without it. Um, so yep. yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: All right so um next question is how has disc golf helped you develop changed your life or influenced your influenced your life uh you know getting into it and then moving on to it like what kind of life lessons have you brought with you
2: from disc golf yeah uh you know so so many um it's funny i to go back from where I was, you know, kind of one night just mopping the floors of my gym, which I had a 3,500 square foot gym. So it took a little bit to mop and, and it was like 10 o'clock at night. I'd gotten there like five in the morning and I had to be there at five in the morning the next day. And, you know, thinking about, you know, how can I make actual, I want to make an impact in disc golf and, um, going home and telling my wife, you know, Hey, I think I'm going to actually start putting content out for disc golf and, and into closing my gym and to now this is what we do full time and in our life, my wife works for, you know, works in disc golf strong as well. And so it's just been an amazing journey and, and, and it's taught me so much that, you know, I will probably start to understand in 10, 15 years as, you know, I continue to reflect on things. Um, but I would say one one thing about this sport is, as we all know, this this is, uh, you know, definitely something that draws us all in is the community and how you can have just something that brings so many people from all over together and and speak a common language and have a common love for something and and a passion for something. I shared a photo uh, a DDO this past year, um, uh, which, Jane, uh, which uh, Jeremy Rusco. Uh, the founder of, of um, Dynamic Discs, um, told me I needed to do 20 push-ups at USDGC this year because I called it DDO and not Dynamic Discs Open. So, Jerry, <laughs> if you hear this, um, I guess I'll do these 20 push-ups after I get off the podcast. <laughs> they're, trying to, they're trying to move it away from DDO to Dynamic Discs Open. Uh, so it was him and the new CEO. And he's like, drop it, give me 20. I'm like, what? He's like, you just call it DDL. I was like, oh uh, okay. Um, so uh, I shared a, I shared a photo uh, from Dynamic Discs Open, where um, it was me and 20, about 20 of my Estonian friends. And I said, you know, never in my life when I uh, first started throwing a frisbee did I think that I would love going to some small little town in nowhere Kansas to hang out with 20 of my friends from Estonia um you know it's just really cool to to think about that and how it's drawn people together um in this way
1: that's that's awesome so do you have any future plans or goals with this golf I mean you're at the spearhead where are you taking this thing
2: yeah, it's uh, you know it's been pretty interesting to have to like I've um, you know with with the growth of disc golf, it, it is <clears throat> I'm, I definitely am aware that you know I've I've been at this the the tip of the spear and just trying to evolve and and make things you know better and improve things the way wherever I can and how however I can best help. I just. I just officially today um, became the head coach of the Boise state university disc golf team. Uh, so congratulations. Um, that's awesome. That's cool. yeah, thank you. Yeah. So that's, you know, so now I'm here, we just settled here in um, the Boise, the treasure Valley um, area in Idaho, uh, back in June. And so um yeah, I taught a clinic for them last week and they were like, Hey, would you mind being the the head coach here? We need a coach. And I was like, absolutely. So now I'm, now I'm, that's another thing I'm doing, you know, is, is kind of getting into collegiate disc golf and how I can best help, you know, the future of our sport from the college level as well. And then continuing to, you know, share programs and share advice and share things that I think will be, you know, people might find some, some benefits from, um, in, in helping them in their journey in this sport and helping them be as resilient, be a resilient disc golf athlete. You know, that's so important. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see where it takes me. We'll keep go keep going and moving forward.
1: Well, speaking of where, where it takes you, that's a nice segue to talk about disc golf strong. Now, what is disc golf strong for our listeners that don't know? Uh, how can we get involved, um, uh, I, I saw that there's some programs on there. You can sign up for classes to talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So Disc Golf Strong is an online athletic performance uh, you know, organization company for, for the sport and um, <clears throat> it's where we share, uh, you know, as much information as, as we can without it being all too consuming and overwhelming. And so we've got, um, you know, our social media Uh, We've got our Disc Golf Strong Performance Academy, uh, which uh, it it started out, it's an online academy. It started out as a six-week academy that people could go through, and there was about 10 weeks of access to that, and it came with, and there's coaching videos and program, a program to follow, like a six-week program to follow. Um, That's really evolved a lot. Uh, and so we're actually in like the next two weeks, we're going to be launching an all brand new disc golf from performance Academy, which is going to be like a year. People have a year access to it. It's going to, there's different modules. There's like the prime disc golf athlete, the mobile disc golf athlete, the stable disc golf athlete, the powerful disc golf athlete, the prepared disc golf athlete, and the recovered disc golf athlete. And so there's different modules and then there's different, um, focuses of training and, and stuff that people can do at home. We really want to meet people where they're at with disc golf training. Um, you know, we're not here to stand on, you know, uh, stand on a balance ball on one leg and juggle to try to get better at disc golf. We want to really try to focus on what are, what are the things that we need as disc golfers? What are the, what's the mobility, what's the stability, all the things that we've talked about over this, you know, last, you know, um, time here on the podcast. And we just try to put that out there in a package form for people that they can access at their home. Uh, we do have, uh, you know, other like mini courses and things we're putting together, um, you know, on like shoulder and elbow health and, uh, knee. And, you know, I'm putting in like a kettlebell course for disc golf. So just things that are going to be coming out in the future. And that's all through our website. Very cool.
1: Yeah, I was I was fishing around your website and uh, very exciting stuff. And, you know, love that someone like you is putting something like that out there and saying, hey, you know, let's get the record straight about disc golf health, disc golf training and, you know, coming from somebody that, you know, would it be safe to say that you're an expert?
2: Uh, I think that other people, you know, would say that for sure. Um, (laughs) I I think, I think in our own heads, you know, we always just, you know, see things that we could always do better and, and learn more about and, you know, and, and so I'm, I probably could be pinned down to say that, uh, you know, um, but yeah, I really wanted to make sure from the very beginning that I saw that, Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, right now I'm the only one talking about it at that time in the beginning of where I was like, okay, I have, a, I have two paths that I could go. I could go the path of what's going to get the most, you know, views and the most Instagram likes. And, you know, and if we're developing this in the sport of disc golf, could I go the route of people just being loud and never really doing the stuff that I am putting out there because it involves a lot of complexity and stuff, or I have a really, you know, uh, great opportunity to make sure that we're growing the sport of training and disc golf from the start with sound principles of, you know, that, that you, that you got in your ACE, you know, certification and that they talk about in the colleges and the NSCA and all these, you know, different things like the sound principles of training and where you should start for athletes. So that's really what I've kind of made sure I held strong to is focused on that. And then, we're excited about the future. We're excited. You know, the last couple of years I've been on the road full time and I also do the, you know, a whole other side of the sport, which is the health and safety uh, for the tour and weather and severe action, severe weather and the emergency action plans and stuff. And so I've been focusing on that for a lot building those things on the tour side. But right now I'm where we've, so it's kind of not been putting out a lot of content for strong recently um, because there's so much focus that I have to do for that kind of stuff for the tour as well but we've just been just been crushing away at just putting new things, getting new things in the works uh, to start putting out for disc golf strong in the near future. We're excited about it.
1: Awesome. All right. Well, um, Seth, we're going to get it wrapped up here. So
2: awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, Brandon and Jenny, it's been a true honor and a pleasure to, to be on the show with you and and talk disc golf and everything we're all passionate about and, the health of the and all that. So I really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to, to, to talk and share. Yeah. All thank right.
0: you for coming on. You were uh, very inspirational. I took a lot of notes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I, no, I, I appreciate that. That's awesome. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the intentional disc golfer. This has been a great episode with our very special guest, Seth Muncie. and at the intentional disc golfer podcast, we really truly believe that disc golf saves lives. So go out there and grow the sport.